Hello and welcome back to Life-Giving Habits from Seven Vineyard, where we are looking at things Jesus did and asking if we do them too, can we become more like Jesus? And so, can they become life-giving habits for us? Today, Mal Caladine looks at how we deal with the Bible, or indeed, see how the Bible might be able to deal with us. What is the Bible and how can we relate to it? Now, these might sound like simple questions, but you might be surprised how many good questions pop up when we take a careful look at them, including a very important one that Mal starts with. We're trying to work out what's the name for this. Because you could say Bible doesn't sound very funky. Yeah. And then Bible study. Uh, the two books that are informing this series this, the most are an amazing one called... Uh, uh, by Richard Foster about spiritual disciplines. And then there is a book by Dallas Willard, who was a lecturer at Harvard, called The Spirit of the Disciplines. Now, he calls this particular habit, discipline, Bible study. But I don't know about you, the idea of study turns me off. Yeah, it makes me feel like I'm, I'm kind of analysing something and getting in, you know, and it's, I'm on top of it, kind of picking it apart. When... Um, that's not what we wanted. To, so we thought, well, is it Bible reading? You know, actually regularly getting a thing going with, do we connect to the Bible as, a, as part of a habit? And then we thought, well, reading is not all of us like reading. I like reading for fun. But I don't particularly like reading lots and lots and lots. Whilst um, at least one of my daughter has read a hundred books in a year. So she likes reading. It's a, it's a, but I don't. So Bible reading didn't quite do it for me. So instead we went for Bible feeding. See what I did there? It's, it's not Bible reading, it's Bible feeding. So really the, what, the question we're trying to wrestle with is how for me can, can I feed on the Bible according true to my personality and who I am. Does that make sense? And we wanted to look at, uh, I'm going to briefly do a, a tour of three very intelligent sort of the Gandalf, Yoda, and um, Albus Dumbledore of uh, theology to, uh, to give us a few hints and we'll, uh, we'll briefly uh, hear from them. Uh, and then we'll look at some practicals or just to start to go towards, how can this lead to hope? I thought it was interesting that that was Owen's word that he felt during, the, that, you know, during worship. Because I think often our journey with the Bible can be those verses from Romans 5, verse 3, which is, it's hard, and hardship leads to, is supposed to lead to perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. That's what that order says. But actually what it starts with is being, actually, this is, there's opposition. This isn't easy, and it involves persevering yeah, to get to character and hope. So that's what I want to go after in this, in this time. So there, we try each of these times to have a book that we'd recommend, and this is the book coming out here. Um, fantastic. Eugene Peterson is the man who uh, wrote the message, uh, more uh, contemporary language, poetic language. At times, it's the most beautiful expression of the Bible I've ever read. Um, there, when uh, You know Jesus' words about 
come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In the message, uh, that, that is translated by Eugene Peterson as come, come and be close, you know, come with me, and I will teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. Whoa. The unforced rhythms of grace. That's what I'm wish. I don't want to put any expectation or accusation on you. I believe that if Jesus is Jesus, then feeding on his word should be an unforced rhythm of grace to us. Yeah? This is what Eugene says at the start of his book. Eat this book, by the way, is a, is a reference in the Bible, actually, to eating the scroll. Um, as it turns out, in this business of living the Christian life, ranking high among the most neglected aspects is one having to do with reading the Christian scriptures. Not that Christians don't own and read their Bibles, and not that Christians don't believe their Bibles are the word of God. What is neglected is reading the scriptures formatively, reading in order to live. I think that's really interesting. And what he goes on to say, we'll look at, uh, as we, is that he just, he makes a plea for creativity. He makes a plea for, if we're going to feed on what we believe is God's word, then what, are we creative enough? So hopefully we'll come on to that. Right. Let's come on. To, so that's the first of our Yodas. Can we move on to uh, Dumbledore? Great. Uh, this is uh, Graham Tomlin. He is, uh, he's, a, he's a Bristol boy who supports Bristol City, but uh, he moved to the big city, and uh, he's not just Graham Tomlin, he's this guy. He's the right reverend Graham Tomlin, now the Bishop of Kensington. Now there's a good gig. And president of St. Melitus Theological College, which I think is the most impressive theological college in the UK at the moment. It trains pioneer vicars, particularly, at a distance. And there are guys, including from Bristol, who go up on the megabus really early, one day a week. And uh, especially there's somebody here. I think, Ed, are you here somewhere? I'm not sure. I got a text from him this morning, so I thought he was, maybe he's not here. Um, Yes, who's been at St. Melitus? He can tell you lots about it. Um, you are. Hello. Well done. <laughs> um, yes, really, really good thing. Intelligent man. Really, really intelligent man. Um, and uh, this is something that uh, he, he teaches on to all these vicars that I think is really challenging. The Bible is not the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. The Bible is our primary witness of the Word of God. I think that's a really interesting one to get your head around and struggle with. And do I agree with that? Do I not agree with that? Well, on one level, where the Bible references the Bible, you know, where it says all Scripture is God-breathed and suitable for rebuking and various other things, they're actually talking about the Old Testament because there wasn't a New Testament then. So on one level, there's some things to wrestle with in this. But I think the thing that I most like about what he's saying here is that this is about our relationships with Jesus. This is most about our relationship with Jesus. This is, reading the Bible is not about Bible study. It's about our relationship with Jesus. 
And the Bible is a story, like, almost like an egg timer, where everything before that time, the time of Jesus flows towards it, yeah? points to it. Everything before the, the time of Jesus points to Jesus. You know, there are, um, I think it, the number of tassels on an Israeli prayer cloak, is, which is in the 460s, I think, is the number of promises of the Messiah there are in the Old Testament. They are all pointing to Jesus. So the Old Testament points to Jesus, and the New Testament flows out from it. Yeah? It's like an egg timer. It's the story of God points to Jesus, and then everything afterwards flows out from it. So this is your, this is your connection point to Jesus. If you want to hear Jesus speak to you out loud, try reading the Bible out loud. Especially the red bits, if you have one of those Bibles. It's the primary witness of Jesus pointing to what he was to do, what he did, and what he is now doing and continuing to do, and his purposes in us. That makes sense? Let's go to the final Gandalf. <laughs> this, is, he, this guy is a really uh, Gandalfy Gandalf. Um, his name is N.T. Wright. Uh, he's, he's the most... Uh, preeminent theologian in the UK alive today. He's written books like The Bible for Everyone, The Gospels for Everyone. He's particularly in interested in, uh, um, in the stories of Jesus and the stories of the people who follow Jesus afterwards, uh, especially Paul. And uh, he, he was a theologian, and then he became the Bishop of Durham after the, um, the Bishop of Durham who kept saying naughty things in the press. He was the next one to steady the boat. Um, and then he, uh, uh, but he's gone back to being an academic. And what fascinated me, um, I've just been away with some of our student team, and we've been at uh, uh, an event with loads of other um, churches working with students around the UK and into wider Europe. And one of the things they most focused on was our need to get into uh, the Bible. And this guy spoke uh, by video from his study in St. Andrew's University. And uh, I just wanted to, uh, just thought it was worth sharing you um, what he introduced because he's very intelligent. Supposing somebody were to dig up or to find in some dusty attic somewhere a wonderful play which got you as far as the beginning of Act 5 and then most of that act was missing. And you just had some sketches as to where that act was to go. Now, how are you going to work from there on? You might say, well, let's get the best playwright available and get him or her to write us the script for that fifth act. But actually, I suspect many actors would say, no, we will soak ourselves in acts one, two, three, and four. We will learn the sort of characters we are to be, and then we will understand what the beginning of the act five is and what the end of this act five is, and then we will improvise from where we start to where we have to get. The main point that I think really fascinates me about what he's saying is understanding this as a story and the idea of locating ourselves in the story. I love the idea that the challenge for you and me is to actually be able to locate ourselves in the story. And I, I could have not gone to N.T. Wright. You know, the other person I could have gone to was J.K. Rowling. 
because it fascinates me how well our culture is located in the story of Harry Potter. We understand who the key characters have been from early days and even the influence that they've had after they've died. Yeah? Like Albus. We know where things are pointing to. We know that there is a greater power of love that defeats evil within it. We know that there's this incredible story going on, and our world gets it and has arguments about it. Um, don't know if you know, September the 1st is Hogwarts Day. And, uh, and when everybody goes back to Hogwarts, there were 200,000 tweets about Hogwarts Day two days ago. People are locating themselves in the story. Do you get what I mean? They're feeding on the story. They're feeding on, on the fact that there's, now there's a play that is imagining things into the future and what will happen in the future. And they're basing the, what's happened in the characters in the past help us understand what's going to happen in the future. Do you get it? They locate themselves in the story. And my challenge to you is that's what we're called to do with the Bible. That's what we're called to do is to understand that it's a story, a narrative that we're part of, that you and I are part of it. And effectively, there he's, um, by saying a five-act play, he's kind of uh, alluding to the classic five-act play of Shakespeare, where there would be five acts, um, and each of those acts would be made up of five scenes. Yeah? Would you agree? And the crucial bit normally, as I understand it, is the third act, the kind of defining point, changing point in, in what happens. Um, now, I, uh, in the book of Heroic Failures, it mentions that one of Shakespeare's plays was taken by his cook before it was finished. And it's one of uh, Shakespeare's unfinished plays because the cook actually took the fifth act and she used it for baking that he'd already written it, but she used it to bake. So it just became parched. That must have been really annoying. But um, it's like discovering, to me the Bible is like discovering a, a Shakespeare play. And I want to suggest you, scene one is, is the early parts of the Old Testament where we understand creation and the, the, what creation means. And that there's this story of the, the fathers of the faith and the early books of, of Abraham, of Moses, of Joseph, of, uh, of all those key people. And then uh, after the fathers, after the, the about 1,500 years of history, um, we get to David the, the, the one who almost pointed to a Messiah. And it becomes about kings and prophets. And all of the other prophetic books uh, are writing to that time and speaking into it. And there are things where Jesus is speaking to us about what he is wanting to do through those stories. And we're locating ourselves in that story. Yeah? And then the third act is the person of Jesus. Is Jesus coming and the four different narratives that we have? And you know, that is why um, they started to go to books rather than scrolls um, in the very early church, because they felt that all four of the um, writings uh, that they understood to be the life of Jesus needed to be put together in codex. And that is why uh, they've they got to be read as one. Scene, uh, act, act three. Act four... I think we see as the early church responding to Jesus saying, all authority was mine, but now I give it to you. 
and we, we see this, the narrative story of what they, they do in Acts. Um, and then we also see all the letters and emails going back and forth about how they can live a life after God and how that works. And the figures are all there. And there are lots of imagery and picture language. And there's the odd love scene. And it's, it's beautiful. And it flows. And it's all over the place. And then um, it also points to the future. And it points to a freedom that's going to come. And, it, and we know how the story is going to come in the end. But we're living in a season where the baker has nicked our script. Yeah? We don't have a script. But we do have, we are in a season where we know who the key players are. We know where it comes from and we know where it's heading towards. Yeah? And that's what it means to get into this word. That's what I believe. So um, I wanted to give you that more as a, how you do that can be as creative as I know there are disciplined, I think that survey has showed there's disciplined people here and there's unstructured people here. I think one of my observations is um, most of the things that I've done in my journey of trying to do uh, a walk with scripture and feed on it is that nothing has really worked for more than about three months. You know, you know when I, I hear somebody saying, oh, you know, oh, somebody recently said to me, oh, my wife and I, we've just, you know, we've come across this way of doing it that's really, really great and it's going to change our lives forever. And I kind of, my cynic in me, tell me in three months. Because I, I believe that that is really good for now, but I'm not sure even that that's how God works. He wants us to be creative. He wants us not just to look at one verse. He wants to look, us, look at the whole. Yeah? Uh, if we had more time, the other quiz I was going to do, you can go, uh, it'll be on the links, and is to find out what the top 10 bookmarked verses are on the Bible app in 2015. It's really interesting. But it's reached a point, I think, where we've come to take a verse and go, oh, that's my pill for the day. And uh, I can cope with that, and that's great. But we can lose our place in the story. Knowing your place in the story is huge. When our kids were small, um, what we started talking about with TV shows, they came up with this phrase was, is it godlike? And uh, I would kind of mean, What? And that we understood, like, it, it was kind of, would God like it? Does it tell some of the story of who God is? Is it God-like? And that's what we'd have a discussion around, around, oh, is it God-like? And then when they reached t uh, secondary school, we, uh, we, we realized that there's a theological word for that, which is redemptive metanarrative. <laughs> and suddenly, instead of saying, is it God-like, they'd say, yeah, it's got a redemptive meta-narrative. Uh, I mean, we were, we were talking about things like, we're literally talking about things like glee here. And, uh, and we'd be having discussions and arguments about, actually, has, it got a, has this story got a redemptive meta-narrative? And actually, in this version, the little gay guy has sacrificed himself for everybody else. That is God-like. It's a redemptive meta-narrative. Anyway, some of the conversations that go on in our house. 
Uh, every now and again. Uh, I remember having quite a heated one with Sienna about um, Johnny Depp and uh, Pirates of the Caribbean uh, because I was, that is not godlike. Uh, it just make, gives me the heebie-jeebies and I don't like all the dead people and it's, it's kind of weird. And, uh, and, and Johnny Depp, funny but wrong. And, uh, and it's just not right. There's so much about it. And, uh, and then Sienna said, no, it's got a redemptive meta-narrative. It's got a God story. And I went, no, it has and, and then she went on to explain to me how, in her opinion, um, it did. <laughs> and I had to admit with her that her argument was completely compelling. Her argument was completely compelling. I couldn't, my heart wasn't there, but my head was going, you're very intelligent. And I see that you've got, you, you see what you're doing. But you've understood, you've understood that there's a story here that you're part of that points to a bigger story. Yeah? Well, you are part of that story. Joseph's journey from understanding that he was good for something to finding life hard and abuse and meeting difficulty, being betrayed by his family, and then finding it got worse and worse and worse can be true to our lives. It's part of our story. But actually, God actually being there with him in the jail, even where he was still a man of integrity, and then raising him up and bringing him to a place where with wisdom he needed to find um, resolution with his family who'd betrayed him, is a story that speaks to my life. Do you get what I mean? We're part of those stories. We're part of every one of these stories. Every one of them points to something about the nature of God. Uh, you know, song of songs and intimacy and love. Psalms of, of saying, I love how often the Psalms are saying, Lord, I love you. You're amazing. You know, this is who you are. You're incredible. Psalm 40 starts, you know, I waited patiently for, for the Lord. He you know, if anybody knows your U2 backtrack, you could sing it with me. You know, he lifted me up out of a muddy pit, out of the mud and the mire, I will sing. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. How long to sing this song? Wow. That's what God's done in my life, he's saying. And then yet he finishes Psalm 40 by saying, yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh, God, do not delay. That's my story. God's done great things in my past, but my present, I'm still poor and needy. Lord, may you think of me. Oh, God, do not delay. Do you get it? So, a few ideas. How do we, how can you engage? I want to give you one other um, uh, why, just from Scripture. Um, and that is, uh, and then we'll just finish with a few ideas of hows that work for you, that just can work. Don't expect anything to work for more than three months. And if it does, you need to be up here <laughs> because you're better than me at it. Uh, and yes, amen. Uh, um, this is what 1 John 2 says. 1 John, a letter in the New Testament, he's writing to all the different guys. He says, I write to you old men, I write to you children, I write to you young men. So he's writing to different audiences. And he says, I write to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. 
And then he says, and then he writes to the children again, and he writes to the young men again, uh, to the old men again, then he writes to the young men again. And I write to you young men again, because you've overcome the evil one, and the word of God lives in you. That's the promise, I think. How do we overcome all the opposition is that we know our place in the story and the word of God lives in us. Can we go to the Psalm 119 verses? This is the, the very middle of the Bible. Oh, that my ways are steadfast and keep going in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I'll praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Wow. Now, what I love about that, and I think the heart of it is, if you've heard this as rules, saying this is the rule of how you're supposed to live, you're missing the point. It's about knowing your value and where you're valued. And that, you know when, uh, when we drive, we see a 30-mile-an-hour sign as a rule saying don't drive over 30 miles an hour. Yeah? You've got a choice to say that's a rule, and I can either keep that rule or I can break it. And every now and again, I want to break the rule and put my pedal to the metal and push against that rule. Because that's what rules do to us. Yeah? Or you can see it as a value. That actually having a 30 mile an hour speed sign is that if you drive 30 in this area, if you accidentally hit somebody, you won't kill them. If you drive 40, you'll kill them. If that's your value, I think you drive at 30. If your value is, I don't own any value, then that is a rule that I should break. Do you see what I'm saying? It's having the value that this is an important thing and a thing of value. Yes. So that's why I read those not as, I want the value of your decrees in my heart, that I'm more defined by that than the news that I read. My problem can be in the morning that I'm more, I, I open the BBC app and read the headlines before I read the Bible. And I think that's a problem for me. Because I need to read the story that I'm part of before I read all the hardship that I'm part of. Do, do you get what I mean? Is that one thing? So a few final things. Just, there's loads more on, on the website. But the thing I want almost to do today is just to get you a bit salted I want to be like nuts on the bar, that it's actually worth drinking some of this stuff. It's worth drinking more and more and more of, of this, yeah? And that you can drink, um, there's, there's, you know, you can either drink, if you're really thirsty, you can drink loads and loads of water, but you can equally drink a short whiskey. And both of them are fantastic. And both of them are valid ways of drinking. Yeah? Um, in a dry and weary land where I've got sunstroke, probably you need a lot of water. But every now and again, there's something just to chew on. Yeah? And there's basically two main ways to read the Bible. And that's either inductive or deductive. 
Deductive is like Sherlock Holmes, well-deduced Sherlock Holmes, where you have the whiskey, the tot of the one little thing, that verse that, oh, I can taste on that for a while and chew on it, and it's good and it's got something to, 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 of value. I've tried a number of times to do different memory verses, a memory verse a week, a memory verse a day. I try and, uh, I've, one of my th uh, th three months was to read the Psalms each day and to remember a Psalm, that the verse that most, I'd read it three times and then wait, which is the classic thing of, uh, and then pray, and then ask the Lord what he most wanted to show me, because Jesus is the word. Jesus is the one who is the word through whom everything was created. Now what do you want to speak to me out of your word? And the verse that most got my attention, I'd highlight with a crayon, and then um, I'd try and remember it. Yeah, I did that for a while. But that is like the short little drink of one verse to try and remember. I think there's also something just about reading, about taking it all in, taking the sweep of, of a whole letter when you read a whole letter, it's very different than just the one verse, oh, there's this point and this point that make this point. When we read the stories as an overview, and you know what? It doesn't all have to go in. It doesn't all have to go in because we're in the story and we're imagining ourselves in the story. Um, so the way I've done that is that I brought my, oh, here are some of my old memory verses. But... Um, I brought, uh, Owen this morning said to me, do you have a Bible with you, Mel? And I went, oh, yes, I do. And he was like, whoa, that's a proper Bible. Um, I don't normally bring this one in. This, this is for when I go to traditional churches. <laughs> Boom. I don't to, uh, um, actually, it's not. That's not true. I have an identical one that I do that with. Um, this, is, uh, this, is, this is the Bible that's only in our... Um, in, a, in my uh, stuffy, call it, study office kind of thing. And it has, um, it has four uh, markers in it. And it, it just says on there, it says uh, OT, uh, OT1, OT2, Gospel, and New Testament. And then that is one of those little stickery things that I move around um, to say where I'm up to. And basically, I got this from another one of those Yoda figures um, who said, if you want to read the Bible without any pressure, have four bookmarks in your Bible. Uh, one in Genesis, at the very start of the story. One halfway through the New Testament, start in Ezra, um, uh, the Old Testament. One in the Gospels, and one in the, uh, the, the four stories of Jesus' life. And then one in everything afterwards. And he said, just the maximum you could read is four chapters a day. Then just read a chapter a day from each of those, and you're getting every part of the story. And if you do that, you will read the Old Testament once in a year. You will read the Gospels uh, three and a half times, and the, new, the rest of the New Testament two and a half times. I thought, wow, that's interesting. So it worked really well for about three months. Yeah, And then I started writing things out. And then I started photocopying things and joining up the pronouns and doing all those kind of things. And then I did all these different ways of... Um, and what I'm trying to say to you is that I expect the journey for the rest of my life is going to change. 
It's going to change, it's going to change, it's going to change. But you know, I think that's good. And I think that's God. And I think he's in it. And I think that uh, one of the best... Um, uh, one of the best things I've heard of, well, can I do this on my own? Well, do you know what? I mainly best look at the Bible, and the thing that probably is the gift that keeps on giving for me is the daily scripture on the Bible app. I think for me, for about five years, that always, nearly always speaks to me. There was a season for Chriselle and I where we'd read a living light of the, some verses put together um, you know, as a little study guide, and uh, we'd do that. And that probably lasted a year and was really good, but we're not doing it now. So what is the thing? And what I want to finish is, what is the thing that could work for you? What is it you want to take away and go, actually, that's what I want to go after. That's what I want to go after. And I want to just speak to you briefly, if you're somebody who feels like, I've never done this in this way. I've never kind of gone after the Bible in this way. Can I suggest to you a start place? And then we'll pray. The start place is this. At the very end of the last Gospel of John, in John 20, uh, verse 30, it says this. Jesus did even more stuff than we've written about. Loads and loads of stuff. But this I did. Uh, the miracles that here, uh, lots of things not recorded in this book. But then verse 31 says this. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. What's written? The ones that John has bothered to put in is the seven miracles that he talks about in that book. And those one have been written that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and by believing you have life in his name. So what I'd suggest is get with one other person and read the seven miracles of John. There'll be a link on the website to it. Uh, there's a website called The Seven Signs of John, and it lists those seven uh, miracles. And with each of them, it was just the idea that um, you, you read that miracle. So the first one in John, John 2, is the wedding, where there is the miracle of the wine. And in doing that, they ask four questions. If you get together with one other person, ask four questions. Have a coffee, talk about the miracle, and say, the four questions are, what does this tell you about God? What does it tell you about you? What does it tell you about what do you think you should do about it? Yeah? What does it tell you about God? What does it tell you about you? Um, what about, about humanity? Actually, sorry, that's the first one. What does it tell you about people, about humanity, about you? What does it tell you about God? What, um, what are you going to do about it? And who else are you going to tell this story? And uh, I know a guy in Portland, Oregon, called Jason Marr. He did this with people not believing in Jesus. And when they said, I want to get into the Bible, he said, can we just go for a coffee? And uh, I want to just have, get together seven times, and each time we'll look at one of these stories and imagine our place in the story. And they saw thousands of people come to know Jesus because they realized that those miracles point to the story that they're part of, and from there they have life in his name. Shall we pray?